0: My senior year of college, I moved off campus with a couple of my best friends, and we got the like the quintessential college student uh, apartment. So it was a small town with kind of a classic downtown area, and above a deli, next door to a bakery down the street from a coffee shop, we had the, an apartment. So it was above the deli, walk up this uh, staircase that smelled like a bakery, smelled beautiful, wonderful. Uh, every time we were er, we walked through there and it was awesome until winter started now this is tennessee so winter's not like crippling like this might be here but like it was cold and no matter what we did we could not get the the heat to to warm up like the apartment was so cold we talked to the landlord about it Uh, we would try and so eventually we got a couple of space heaters and so we kept blankets and a space heater wherever we were at. So if we were in the living room, we would go take the blankets and the, the space heater into the living room and use it there. And then we would, when it was time for bed, we be there were two bedrooms and we'd take it, take it with us to kind of warm up the room before we went in there and went to bed. And so that's kind of how we navigated through the winter. And then when we... You know, spring came and so it warmed up. It was not such a big deal. And then we moved out, and the landlord told us, "I could, I could have you reported because you guys never turned on the gas." This was our first apartment. We even asked about why is the heat not on, but we didn't think. Well, there's not a source of heat. I mean, we had electric, we had electricity. We, you know, like the air conditioner worked when we needed the air conditioner to work. We had no access to the, the furnace itself because it would have been on the roof. But we, we, no matter what we tried, it didn't work because we didn't have the source of the heat turned on. I was thinking of that story because so often we go through life looking for a, an answer to a problem or looking for help in a certain area, but I wonder if we always go to the right source. You see, like when we're going through life and we're wanting to know what is true, what can I rely on? We can look to a lot of different sources, but I wonder if sometimes we actually don't have the right source. Somebody tells us something and then we start to spread it. Then we realize, oh, the person that told me that was wrong. They were mistaken or they lied. And so... We need a different source of authority. Honestly, maybe in our lives, we've looked for the authority, for some some authority and some truth. And somebody's let us down and has left us going, can I trust anything that they told me? We go through life wanting to find an identity for ourselves that is good and that is reliable and that we can depend on. And yet, where does the source of that come from? Does it come from how I behave? Does it come from what people around me think? Does it come from like how much stuff that I have? What's the source for that? Today, as we begin this series in the book of Ephesians, we're going to be looking at, at, at a, just the first two verses because they deal with this idea. Where do we find the source for authority? Where is the source that we find our identity in? Where is the source for the restoration of all things that we want? So go ahead and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter one says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, as as we open your word, help us, help us to find the source that we need in every area of our lives. In Jesus name. Amen. What I want to show you today in, these, in these, few, these two verses is this passage calls us to go to the right source for identity, authority, identity, and restoration. Ephesians verses, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says, go to the right source for authority, for identity, and for restoration. What I want to do is I want to show you three reasons that when we look for the right source, we are called to go to Christ Jesus. Three reasons for us to go to Jesus First, we see, go to Christ Jesus for authority. Verses one, the beginning of verse one says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. This starts, this letter starts with the letter writer Paul identifying himself to the people that he's writing to. Paul had actually done ministry in Ephesus, but. At this time, it's been a number of years since that has happened, and the church has grown and expanded. And Ephesus was a, a, a city that controlled a region of about 30, that went about 30 miles out around it. So there would have been churches that would have been reading this letter that had never actually met Paul. And so he starts by identifying himself to the people. And I love these few verses. My wife said, how in the world are you going to preach a sermon on two verses? And I, I'm not doing it just to be stubborn, but I want you to see there is great stuff here in these initial words. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Paul starts with his own identity. He, so he's setting up authority, but he starts with this is who I am. And those few, those few words like tell a story, if we've read the book of Acts, we start to realize that's a significant thing for Paul to call himself an apostle of Christ Jesus. Because Paul's story, we see it in Philippians and we see it in Acts, we see that Paul was born a Hebrew of Hebrews, the most Jewish of the Jewish people, who kept the law from the young age and studied at the feet of the master's, It was destined for great things. He held the coats of the people as they stoned the deacon Stephen to death. He had notes allowing him to go and arrest Christians because he hated them so much. The book of Acts tells us that Jesus stopped him on the road and said, Why are you persecuting me? Jesus stops him on that road, changes the course of his life as Paul repents of his sin and trusts in Christ. And then he becomes the missionary to the Gentiles. That's to the non-Jewish people. That's people like you and me going throughout the Roman Empire, sharing the good news of Jesus when he had before been persecuting Jesus and Jesus' followers. And so in those words, there is this great, like this great story, an apostle of Christ Jesus. There is this story of like Paul's life transformation. It is a story of God's grace in Paul's life that he can say, I am an apostle of Christ Jesus. An apostle is a word for one who is sent by Jesus. Normally, it was a very special term used for the disciples, the the 12 disciples, And, but occasionally it was used for some others. The general sense is sent, but there's this special category because he was sent specifically by Jesus with the authority of Jesus, the New Testament coming from the hands of those apostles and from the, their associates, those that were with them. But so Paul identifies himself by his story. I am an apostle of Christ Jesus. This is a story of grace. But I am an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. The reason that He's doing this is because He is setting up His authority in the lives of the believers in, in Ephesus. This is Paul setting up for you and for me. This is my authority. I'm not just writing to you helpful tips for living, things that I think might be helpful. I am writing to you because I have been sent by Jesus with a special commission, with the will by the by the will of God. I have His authority to say these things to you. And so what this, this is, this, These verses right here at the very beginning are calling us to is not to just go, oh, Paul said something good, but Paul is saying something. He is commissioned by Christ Jesus. These are God's words. And so we have to go to Christ Jesus for authority. This is something that is neglected in our age. In an age that says, oh, everybody is biased, or oh, you say this and I say this, how can we decide between them? We live in an age that just flattens authority. But here in the book of Ephesians and in the Bible, authority is built into the structure of the universe. And Paul says, I am writing to these, you to you these things on the authority of God Himself through Christ Jesus, who sent me to say these things to you. You say we must in our lives begin to live with this attitude that God's word is God's words. Like these these aren't just helpful tips for living, not theoretically saying, oh, these are God's words, but saying Jesus Christ through his word is expressing his authority in my life. Thus says the Lord is an important phrase in the Bible and in our lives. And so we must begin to go, oh, Joe's not just trying to get me to read the Bible because he thinks it would be helpful. But like there is this authority that comes through from the God's word through Jesus Christ. We must listen to it. We live in a world with marketing messages all over the place, with competing truth claims on our phones, and on our computers, and on our TVs, and on billboards, and everywhere we go, somebody says, this is true, walk this way, and we must settle for ourselves here at the beginning of the book of Ephesians. I am going to go to the right source for authority. I'm going to Jesus Christ through his apostles written in his word. We have to go. Hey, I know there are lots of voices out there, but I'm settling for myself. This is God's words, and I must, I must listen to it. One of my prized possessions is a letter that I got. I started a habit a while back that if I when I finished a book, if I particularly enjoyed it, I would try and get um, like an email address or a physical address or something from the author and just write them a note saying, hey, I really liked your book. I appreciated this about it just as an encouragement to them. And it's been really fun because probably half the time they'll send me an email back saying, hey, I'm so glad that you liked this. You know, um, thanks for reaching out. But I, uh, one of my favorite authors, N.T. Wright. I didn't couldn't find an email address for him. So, but I did find the physical address where he worked, and so I wrote him a card and said, "Hey, so and so, a book really helped me so much. It made me fall in love with Jesus all over again." And I sent that to him. He works in England, and so I, um, I got a, about a month later, I got a letter back in the mail, and I looked down and I was like, "I've never seen stamps like that before," and I. I like read some of the hand, and I was like, "This is from Great Britain. It it must be N. T. Wright. Why would somebody else in Great Britain write to me?" So I was really careful to open it, and just, I didn't want to rip the envelope because I was like, "If this is what I think it is, then this is going to be so special. I don't want to rip this. I don't want to lose this." And so I still have it, and I occasionally when I like come across it again, I like get warm feelings all over again. Like I got a letter from N.T. Wright, and nobody else can take that away from me. He wrote me this letter because it is special to me. That is the kind of attitude. Beyond that kind of attitude is the attitude that we should have when we come to the book of Ephesians and we come to God's word. We have the very words of Christ Jesus himself written for us. Not helpful tips, not helpful religious instruction. We have the words of God, Christ Jesus, sent to us we must settle. This will be our authority. This will be our prized possession. You see, throughout the Bible, that's what Satan consistently attacks. It's what he did in the very first story with Adam and Eve. He goes to Eve, and the first thing he says is, did God really say? That's what Satan loves to do in the Bible, and he loves to do that in your life. He loves to say, did God really say? Wanting to get us to go to some other source for authority, some other source for the authority for our spiritual lives, for our religious lives, for our parenting, for our our church organization. He wants us to say, well, this person has a really good strategy. When we have to settle for ourselves, Christ Jesus, through the Apostle Paul, has told us everything that we need to know for life and godliness. And so the application of this for you and for me is where are we going to find the authority for the things that we need to know? Ephesians later is going to talk about parenting, but we have to settle before we get to that. Here in verse 1, are we going to listen to God's words as the authority for our parenting? Are we going to say, God, we, you know better than we do. We're going to trust it. We're going to get later in the book of Ephesians to the relationship between masters and slaves, between those in leadership and those under them. And we have to settle for ourselves before we get there. Are we going to submit to God's words or not? As we plot out our lives and say, what are my priorities and my dreams and my plans going to be? We're not going to start with Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to start with Ephesians chapter 1 and say, this is going to be my authority. I'm going to the right source. I'm going to Jesus for my authority. The second reason that we go to Christ Jesus from this passage as this source is we go to Christ Jesus for our identity. The second part of verse one says to the saints who are in who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Paul has already given us hints about his own identity that comes from Christ. But then he turns to the saints and says to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Saints is a word for the holy ones, the ones that are set apart, God's holy people. So Paul, who has worked in the city, but doesn't really know who's in the church now, especially as it's expanded outside the the city center, he doesn't know who they are, but he knows if you're in Christ Jesus, I can call you a holy one. I can call you a holy one. You are a saint. You are a holy one set apart, made holy by Jesus. And then he describes them in two ways, who are in Ephesus, who physically live in Ephesus. Like I said, the, the surrounding area around the city, similar to if all of the surrounding area around Milwaukee just started taking the name Milwaukee. That's kind of what was happening here. He says to the saints who are in Ephesus in a physical location. But then he says there's another description. You're not just defined by the city that you live in. You are defined by the fact that you are in Christ Jesus, faithful in Christ Jesus, not, well, the saints that are in Ephesus and a subcategory, the faithful in Christ Jesus too. No, they're, they're synonymous things to the saints. You guys are in Ephesus and you're faithful in Christ Jesus. You're faithful because you are in Christ. I can be, Paul says, I can be confident of your identity because you are in Christ. And so there's these two descriptions You who live in a physical place, but are found in Christ. These two things. This is your identity. Determined by the fact that you are in Christ Jesus. This is going to be one of the themes of the letter to the Ephesians. Is this theme of in Christ In Christ, in Christ, in Christ is going to be repeated over and over and over. And here, this is your identity. You who are in Christ Jesus, faithful in Christ Jesus. So where does your identity come from? Where does my identity come from? Paul, who knows some of them, but not all of them, maybe not even most of them at this point. Paul says, I know you guys. I know you because you're in Christ. That's your identity. Not the place that you work, not the sins that you've committed, not the things that have been done to you. It's not how much money you have. It's not what other people think about you. It's the fact that you are in Christ Jesus is the most important and unchanging thing about you. This is your identity. And so this passage is calling us to go to Christ Jesus for a rock-solid identity. That somebody who doesn't know anything about us can know the most important thing. I am in Christ Jesus. Those of us that know lots of things about ourselves and find ourselves angry and fearful and disillusioned with ourselves can say, no, actually my identity comes from Jesus Christ, not from the things that I've done, the things I've not done. So where does your identity come from? When somebody asks, who are you? How do you describe yourself? What I want to say, what I want to go through my mind, and often it doesn't, but what I want to go through my mind is I am Joseph Franklin Radosevich, a saint living in Wisconsin, faithful in Christ Jesus. That's the identity that we should have is a rock solid identity because it comes from Jesus Christ. I was recently talking with somebody, a friend, who was telling the story of his life. And even now as he's in his 80s, part of the story of his life was defined by words that people spoke about him when he was a kid and when he was a teenager. Maybe people didn't mean it hurtfully, but it became the recurring story and you see, in the short times that I have known him, I would have said, oh, this is you who has a great big family that you love and that loves you. This, this is you who worked in a, law, a job for a long time and owned lots of land and set yourself to now do whatever you want to do. You've who been so productive and so loved in your community. But the story you tell yourself is the story that somebody told you. 65 years ago. How sad is it when our identity actually just comes from other people? That even comes like I just described. Well, if I described your identity, it would come from the things that you've done. This passage tells us we can have a better identity. We see it in the Bible when, when David had his second son with Bathsheba. That would become the king after him, named him Solomon. But the prophet Nathan came and named him Jedediah, which means loved by God. This that is an example of what is happening here in Ephesians. For those who are in Christ Jesus, get a new name from Jesus, and we are called to begin to think about ourselves differently, going to Christ Jesus for our identity. And so, the application of this is: Will you do that? Will you go to Jesus for your identity? Maybe you're listening to this today and say, I am not in Christ Jesus. How can this identity be mine? The the story of the Bible is that God made the world and he made it good. And he put Adam and Eve in it and he said, it is very good. And God gave Adam and Eve one rule. He gave them a charge to shepherd and rule and steward the world. But he gave them one rule and said, you will be little kings under me. Just because you rule the world does not mean that you are out from underneath my authority. But Adam and Eve said, no, we will turn our turn our turn to our own way. We will make our own kingdoms. We will not follow your one rule. And every human after them has joined Adam and Eve in that rebellion. The Bible says that God introduced physical and spiritual death to the world in that act of disobedience to Adam and Eve and you and I. And so we are all physically dying, but spiritually already dead, unable to please God, and unable to have this kind of identity on our own, with only death, punishment, and hell ahead of us. But instead of leaving us there, the Bible tells us that God promised and then came as the man Jesus living the life that we should live, dying the death that we should die, and then was raised back to life so that the spiritually dead can join Jesus with his identity and with his resurrection future. And the way that the Bible says that that becomes ours is not as we obey better, not as we get baptized, not as we join the church, but as we repent of our sin, changing our mind, turning away from our sin and trusting in Jesus alone to save us. The illustration I often use is it's like a small child reaching his hands towards his father. That is how we end up receiving Jesus, buying that God has already extended Jesus down to us. If you have questions about that, please leave a comment in the chat on our video. Please reach out by email to me. Go to our church website. Because I want you to have this kind of identity, not your own identity. The application of those of us who are already in Christ Jesus is maybe we need to wake up in the morning and remind ourselves I am Joseph living in this place, but I am faithful in Christ Jesus. I am a saint because God has placed me in Christ Jesus and calls me a saint. Some of us need to, to constantly remind ourselves of the new identity that we have in Christ not defined by what the world describes about us, not defined by what our hearts describe us as, but defined by what God's word describes us as. We are called to go to Christ Jesus for our identity here from this first verse in the book of Ephesians. And the third reason that we go to Christ Jesus as our source is we go to Christ Jesus for restoration. Verse 2 says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ grace is this word for gift the bible interchangeably uses grace and mercy often talking about grace this unmerited gift that god gives to people who don't deserve it peace is a word for harmony for wholeness may your whole world may the entire world be united and be at peace may it be right not just an absence of fighting but perfect relationships perfect provision perfect blessing grace to you and peace And how does he describe it? From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The source of this grace, the source of this peace, this this whole world, this whole church, this whole town, this whole family, the source for that is God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Hinting to us, as this, he's been using these terms, Christ, Jesus, Jesus Christ, he flips it around, talking about God being the source, hinting at the Trinity for us. But what I want you to notice in this is that here he points to God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ as the source of the restoration of all things that we desperately want. We want an end to funerals. We don't want to go to funerals anymore. We don't want to have families that fight anymore. We don't want to have broken relationships anymore. We don't want to deal with the temptation that we have face right now. We don't want to deal with the shame that we feel because of the things that we've done. And the source of that is God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. J.I. Packer says that it's the greatest privilege of the gospel is the fact that we get to call God Father. The greatest privilege of the gospel is that we get to call God our Father. We're not just welcomed back in as as better citizens. As, oh, well, you're not a rebel anymore. Instead, we get the privilege of calling God Father. And here in these first words in the book of Ephesians, the source of the restoration that we desperately long for is the God who calls himself our Father, identifies himself with us. And the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we've got to go to the right source. If you're like me, you look at a world that seems torn apart by division. And honestly, most years we could point to division in our world between cultures, between races, between classes of people, between political parties, between branches of the church. We could look at, we could look at extended families and see people that don't talk anymore because of something that was done at some point. This these verses hint at this, this restoration that we long for and says that God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ is the source of it. You and I are going to be tempted to try and find some leader that can make the peace that we want. And Ephesians says, God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ is the leader you need. You, you and I are going to be tempted to try and find some kind of strategy to reunite broken families. And the source of it, this passage says, is the Lord Jesus Christ. The message of Ephesians is encapsulated right here. The cosmic reconciliation in the world comes from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And the book of Ephesians, especially chapters 1, 2, and 3, are going to begin to unpack what that looks like for the whole world to be put to right. How does that begun? How is that, How has that been started in Jesus Christ? And how is that continued in the church? And how can we look for it and long for that at the end of time? I want to read a, uh, a short passage explaining a little bit about how this idea that the reconciliation and restoration that we want in the world comes through Christ, how that shows up in the book of Ephesians. Max Turner says, all this could be called cosmic reconciliation. Ephesians teaches that this purpose has been begun in Christ and will be consummated in him. In him, alienation has been destroyed and reunification has begun. Oh, that sounds good. The old division of humanity into Jew and Gentile has been overcome, and the older alienation of humankind from God surmounted too. Christ has begun to fill and unite the universe, bringing peace. But to say these things have have begun in him is also to say they are experienced by those united with him, namely by believers. This leads to an awesome, majestic vision of the church. The universal church of Jews and Gentiles is the place Jesus fills. It is the place where the world and the powers are to see the cosmic reconciliation already underway. By union with Christ, the church is already the one heavenly temple, and it must, above all, strive to maintain that unity which witnesses to God's purpose. This is a big deal. These first verses in Ephesians begin to set out for us that Jesus Christ is the source of something awesome happening in the world. Jesus Christ is the source of something awesome happening in our local church. Right now, gathered on blocks, in homes, sometimes once a month, gathering together. But God is at work in us in an awesome way, demonstrating to the world a cosmic reconciliation that will one day fill the universe. This is a big deal. Our lives together are a big deal. Jesus Christ is the source of something awesome. And so will we go to Jesus Christ for the restoration that we long for, that our community needs, that our extended families need to experience, that our own households need to experience? Will we go to Jesus turning away from any other source that says, oh, we can bring the the cosmic peace you want. We can bring the harmony that you want. We will deliver you. So this passage gives us three reasons to go to Jesus Christ as the source, the right source for authority, identity, and restoration. But if you're like me, when you hear, go to Christ Jesus for authority, go to Christ Jesus for identity, go to Jesus Christ for restoration, most of the time, My own wisdom is the authority. My own desires are the authority that rule my life. Most of the time I get my identity from things that I can control and make me feel in control of my own destiny. Most of the time I try to manage harmony in the world. Where is the good news for those of us who do not live this way? Where is the good news when God's word is not the source of everything that we need and we look in so many other places for happiness? The good news of this passage is that Jesus, the one who said I have come to do your will, died as a lawbreaker. Jesus who lived under his father's authority, fulfilling the law of God died as a lawbreaker so that you and I don't have that as our destiny. Doesn't stand against us anymore. Instead, God looks at us and sees us completing the law when he sees us. Jesus The image of the invisible God, as Colossians tells us, died despised and rejected with nothing about his form to attract anybody to him. Jesus died despised and rejected in your place and in my place so that we get to have the identity of son. We get to call God father, not just theoretically, but in a real relationship. And Jesus The resurrected Lord is the source of our restoration. His, His resurrection was enough. And he's now at work restoring the world, restoring you and I. Jesus is the source for us. And so this passage, instead of crushing us as a law, begins to set us free because we know Jesus kept it in our place. We are truly faithful because we are in Christ Jesus. So I want you to imagine with me what kind of confidence we can gain when we have Christ Jesus for our authority, when we have Christ Jesus for our identity, when we have Christ Jesus as the source of the restoration that we long for. Imagine the kind of confidence we can begin to live with. We can know God has told me everything I need to know. He's not left anything out. There's not a secret that's missing. My identity is not based on me or based on what other people think. It is rock solid. And so I can live with confidence. I can be misunderstood. I can have my reputation destroyed in this world. But I know that my identity is assured because I am faithful in Christ Jesus. Imagine the kind of security that we have when we look at a world that is broken on personal levels. When children in our communities desperate and living in horrible circumstances we can live with a kind of security saying god help us be a part of that but it is it is rock solid because christ jesus is at work reconciling the world to himself and so we can be a part of that we can live with security because we can know that this brokenness that we are seeing this brokenness that we're interacting with this brokenness that we're hearing about is not the full story that's a kind of confidence and security that changes things. And so Ephesians chapter 1 is this invitation. Go to the right source for authority, identity, and restoration. And now, the, and now the rest of the book is going to begin to unpack that and help us begin to see what does that look like on deeper and deeper levels. But you and I have to decide, I'm going to go to the right source. And when we do that, we find confidence and security. Let's pray. And God, I pray as we we hear your word that we would settle these issues, that you are the source that we need. In Jesus' name, amen.